Good morning. I wasn't sure if uh, on January 20th you could come up here and say Merry Christmas, but Tim did it for us, so I can say it, Merry Christmas. It was uh, several weeks ago at an elder meeting when uh, Pastor Aaron was explaining the situation uh, of this morning. He was going to be gone. Pastor Tim was already scheduled to preach next Sunday, so he asked if any of us would be willing to share. And I thought, sharing a message, it's, it's pretty intimidating for me. This isn't really my cup of tea. Um, but he later went on to explain the format of the morning. We we're going to have some singers come and share. Uh, we were going to sing some songs together. And so the message or some thoughts that I was going to share were about 10 to 12 minutes. And I thought, well, that's, that's less intimidating. Maybe I, can, maybe I can handle that. So long story short, I offered. And now I stand up here after listening to that group sing and hearing us sing, completely intimidated again. So thank you for that. Now I just have a few thoughts I wanted to share with you. And then... Uh, We'll invite the group back up to, to close in some more songs. Thank you for coming. It was, it was great. While dis- discussing the situation, I think it was Matt that asked Pastor Aaron, like, if there was a certain passage or a topic that he wanted us to, to share on. And Pastor Aaron said, no, it's completely up to you, but it is the Sunday before Christmas, so I've got one idea anyway. So, um, And it reminded me of, of Pastor Tom seven, eight, nine years ago. He was up here on an Easter Sunday morning, and... Um, he got up by saying that uh, it's just a little a, a bit of a unique situation. He said that every message that has been preached or could be preached on the message of Easter had probably already been preached. And if a pastor comes up and says, hey, I've got this new novel idea, this new concept that's never been preached before, they're either lying or maybe it's not very biblical. And I think I'm, I'm kind of in a similar situation here today, preaching on Christmas there's been a lot of messages on Christmas, and who am I to think that I've got some new novel idea that's never been thought of before? So rather than try to come up with something new, I'm going to remind us of a few of the truths about God that are revealed during the, uh, throughout the Christmas story, many of those that we've already sung about here today. And I, I promise you, I had no idea Aaron was going to preach on or through some of the songs, uh, songs of Mary and Song of Zechariah during the Advent season. But maybe this is a nice way to kind of wrap up that series. I also didn't know what the Christmas program was going to be like last Sunday, if you had a chance to be here. They talked about some of those truths that I'm going to mention here today as well. Uh, probably the biggest difference between this morning and last Sunday evening at the Christmas program is my shirt will stay down the entire day. Uh, I probably won't hit anyone while I'm up here. And it's unlikely that I'm going to do any somersaults while I'm up here as well. If you didn't get a chance to, to watch that, I encourage you. The entertainment value through that program was, it was through the roof. So I, I assume maybe it's going to be linked to, the, to our church website if you, don't get a chance to, if you didn't get a chance to be here. We just heard the work of, of Christmas. And, and in my notes here I have, did you hear the lines? Well, of course you did. Joe just read them to us, but I'm going to read them again. <laughs> to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner to rebuild the nations, and to bring peace, like Aaron preached about last Sunday. If you just opened the Bible and just started reading from the beginning, it wouldn't take you very long to get to the point where mankind felt broken and lost. It's chapter 3, in fact, uh, where we already feel where we had already fallen short and in the need of a Savior. Genesis 2, uh, chapter, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, 
You may surely eat of any tree or every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And we know this, how the story goes. The serpent comes, he questions what God says, convinces Eve, Adam partakes as well, and then the blame game starts. They start pointing fingers. And we know the result. We know how they felt. Verse 8, they hid from the Lord. Later in verse 10, Adam says, I was afraid. Not the relationship that God had created for them. Thankfully, we serve an omniscient God, an all-knowing God. A God already had a plan in place to rescue us, to heal the relationship that we broke. Mankind creates a broken relationship in chapter 3. But if you flip back a few pages, back in chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And there are a few other uh, examples of scripture that tell us about Jesus coming to earth and the work, uh, was in the works from the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God tells the serpent how this thing is going to end. And I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Then again in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it's more directly prophesied when he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. There are numerous passages that point to our Savior coming to earth. The Christmas story is not the beginning of the plan of salvation. It's been put in a place from the beginning. I'm not sure if it's Max Lucado that quoted this or he quoted another quote, but I couldn't find it, so I'm giving it to Max Lucado. He said, in our greatest... If our greatest need was information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. But since our greatest need is forgiveness, God sent a savior. Our omniscient God knew every one of us would need a savior. Romans 3.23 reminds us that we're right there with Adam and Eve when it says, All have fallen short of the glory of God. Satan must have felt pretty good at this time. We just get to chapter 3, and already he's created chaos. And it didn't stop there. This chaos continued. This chaos and brokenness was prevalent throughout the Old Testament, up to and even during the birth of Jesus. Consider Mary's life the past few months. And I know Pastor Aaron alluded to this in the first Sunday at Advent. But most scholars believe uh, she was in her teens, early teens at that, she was visited by an angel, which we understand by most biblical accounts is a pretty scary encounter in and of itself. Carrying what Gabriel told her in Luke, not a normal baby at all, when he said, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of all, his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So, in her first pregnancy, carrying the Son of the Most High, no pressure. Then, there's a, uh, as the date approaches, they have to make a trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem by foot. And then, they get there. There's no room for them in the inn. 
They later find out that the king, King Herod, wants to kill the baby. I'm not sure the Bible specifically talks about how Mary felt, but you can imagine it's a pretty stressful and chaotic situation. And maybe some of us feel a little bit like we can only assume Mary felt like. In an election year that everything that goes on with it. And now that it's over, we realize it's still not over. It's like it has to last the entire year. They can't even give us the last month off. No, this election year has to last the entire year. There's social unrest around the country. We're in the midst of a global pandemic that causes health concerns for some and financial concerns for others. We really don't know what to do individually, collectively, or politically. And now, as the end of the year races towards us, we have deadlines and quotas to meet. We have paperwork and end-of-the-year reports to complete at work, shopping lists to take care of, food to make, and, well, you can fill in the blank of what your life pertains to. But just as he was 2,000 years ago, God remains in control today. We are told in Matthew how much God cares and how he is in control, even of the smallest details when Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. We worship a sovereign God here. And as we celebrate the birth of Christ, let's not forget we worship a God that is in complete control, even today. John, in his gospel, tells us what drove the Christmas story when he wrote that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The God that we rejected reached out to reconcile the broken relationship that we created by sending his son to earth to live a sinless life to take on the punishment that we deserved. Isaiah spoke to what, com- what would come when it was written, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. God could have said, you blew it, you fix it. Not that we'd have been able to. It was our fault. Sometimes I tend to do that in my own relationships. Well, it wasn't my fault. I wasn't the one that caused this rift. But God loves us so much that he made a way. During this Christmas season, while we think about the newborn baby being held and comforted by his earthly parents, with the animals nearby and the shepherds kneeling, the nativity scene that we have in our minds, let us not lose sight of the fact that God sent his son to earth to free us from our sin. And the same loving God that sent his son to earth 2,000 years ago is the same loving God that we worship here today. So what does this all mean? What does it mean that we worship an omniscient God, a God that knows what we need, a sovereign God, a God that is in complete control, and this loving God? It means as believers we have hope. Even in this broken world, filled with sin, filled with chaos, filled with uncertainty, our hope as believers differ from hope of the world. The world's hope is nothing more than luck or chance. I hope it doesn't rain, or if you're a farmer, I hope it does rain. I hope I get the job. I hope, but fill in the blank. A child of God's hope is just the opposite. Our hope is backed by this omniscient, sovereign, and loving God. In fact, our hope, excuse me, in fact, our God is a God of hope. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you, may be over, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow with hope. As God's children, we should have so much hope that it overflows. 
So my challenge for us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in this season and beyond, is to go out into this dark and chaotic world with an overflowing hope that only comes from the living God that we worship today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're here. There's so many times that there's so many things that can distract us during this Christmas season. My prayer is that you would give us some time season, when we can reflect on your sovereignty and love and the hope that it gives us. We are so thankful for your love and that you showed during us during this Christmas season. It's in your son's name that we pray these things. Amen.